Anyway, I'm going to finish up the sermon series today that we started, goodness, five weeks ago. We started walking through the book of 1 John, and we, we've been doing a sermon series called Alignment. How many of you have enjoyed that sermon series? All right. That's like everybody. That's like almost like 98% approval rating on that, on that sermon series. That's good. That's good. But we'll just do it again. We're going to do that again next month, and then we're going to do, we're just going to stay in First John. Uh, no, I mean, even like First Wednesday worship that we just had this past Wednesday night, um, I broke into chapter four a little bit and dug in a little bit deeper. I've been, I have been thoroughly enjoying just walking through the Word of God with you, um, and I think it's very grounding. It's very foundational to us as a church and to us as Christians, and even if you're not of Christians today, if you're just curious, if you're just interested in what Christianity has to offer and what Christianity claims, you're going to find out a lot about that in the book of 1 John. Um, we're calling this sermon series Alignment because uh, a couple months ago I went for some alignment from a chiropractor um, that actually goes to our church here um, down in Kyle. They have a, the, a chiropractic company and um, business. And so they, they aligned my, my spine. They kind of cracked my neck and cracked my lower back and my middle back they, they had they're still having a hard time with my middle back but I just say that to, to bug him a little bit because it, it kind of irritates him um, that he can't quite get my my center back moving but anyway um, there's there's I'm, I'm a work in progress it's all good um, but there's something about this this cracking of the back that and the spine that, that I found out was was quite helpful I thought it was just sort of to loosen up your spine to help with spinal pain which it is um, but chiropractic also believes that when you loosen up the spine what you do is you create a clear communication from from your brain to the rest of your body because your spine is the is the highway of which all the communication from your brain then goes down to all of your different organs and all parts of your body and so uh, the purpose of chiropractic is to is to create alignment so that there can be clear communication with the head and uh, this of course is is very um, applicable to the Christian belief of Jesus Christ the Bible calls Jesus the head of his church he's 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 he is our head and we are the body and so we have to have clear communication with Jesus if we want to have healing in every part of our body. In fact, I believe that every area of sickness in our lives comes from lack of communication with God. Uh, we're not hearing from God about a particular area of our life or we've shut off or closed off. We don't want to talk to God about a particular area of our Okay, maybe that's just me. Maybe just, you all are perfect. You probably walked on water just to get here. So, you know, I'm just going to share a few things. It doesn't apply to you at all. Um, <laughs> so just relax, kick back. I'm talking to the person next to you, actually. They are messed up, I'll tell you what. They are like, you don't, you don't know it. They look like they got it together, but they don't. So this sermon is not for you at all. Um, don't worry about a thing. Um, and uh, anyway, we're going we're gonna to wrap up chapter 5 which is the final chapter of this of this amazing letter. But before we do, um, I want you to whip out your cell phone one more time and uh, we're going to do a little something special. Just go ahead and get out your cell phone and I'm going to have you vote for what we're going to, to preach on next Sunday. Okay, so our sermon series has come to an end. My wife and I are preaching together next Sunday, which by the way, today is Rose's birthday. If you don't know... turning 20, 22 today. It's, it's just, just there. So um, anyway, so yeah, we're going to be celebrating tonight. And some, uh, one, one, of, one of our members is putting us up in a hotel room, fancy hotel room in Austin, which is cool. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> Whoa, she says. 
Hey, look, it's like, see, see this ring right here? That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's, come on, though. Okay, anyway, so what would you like us to talk about next week? Ro and I preach together occasionally. Here are your options. I guess E might be of interest to a few people. Um, <laughs> we got A, dating, B, managing finances, C, parenting, D, spiritual leadership in marriage, and E, sex in marriage. Uh, you can text your vote to this number, 512-960-1617. Basically, just text a letter to that number, and that's all you do. Just text a letter to that number, and that'll give us your vote. You can do this throughout the week. You can do it right now. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, and, and also, we understand. Uh, Ro and I like to preach together because we like to share about our relationship, but we also believe that, um, that everything that we share is really applicable, not just to married people, um, not even just to dating people, but, but the Word of God is applicable to everybody. And so uh, if, if there's any of these topics that we talk about, we will, um, we will cover kind of the broader spectrum, just like we did last month. And um, anyway, I guarantee it will be funny. Um, I, I, I hope it will be beneficial and encouraging to you, but um, at, at least you'll get a giggle and a laugh, and uh, it'll be great. So, Okay, so now that you've punched in those numbers, let, or those letters, let's go ahead and dive into 1 John chapter 5. And first, actually, before we read chapter 5, I want to read a couple of verses back from chapter 4 that we read last week that I think are of great importance. Um, 1 John chapter 4, and they're not going to have this on the screen, um, but I, I just want to look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Certainly... We have known, it's past tense with present results, it's a perfect tense, we have known and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one remaining in love remains in union with God and God remains in union with him. By means of this, by means of knowing the love of God and continuing to believe or continuing to rely on the love of God, by means of this, love has been perfected inside of us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because just as that one is so also are we in this world just as Jesus is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment and the one fearing has not been made perfect in love I want to talk about confidence a little bit today if that's all right it comes from knowing the love of God and so I would encourage you of, of all the things that you might learn uh, and all the things that you might pursue, um, I, I, I would encourage you to know the love of God. Um, by the way, he doesn't say uh, you, you must hear a sermon on the love of God. So it's kind of the, the, the catch-22 of my sermon is that my sermon is not really what you need. <laughs> you must know the love of God. You must not hear about the love of God or listen to a sermon or a teaching or read a book about the love of You must know for yourself the love of God. And until you know the love of God, much of what I'm saying is not going to make sense to you. It's going to seem strange and odd. And in fact, John himself is going to seem pretty peculiar to you. He's going to seem a little bit ridiculous. But John knew the love of God. And when you know the love of God, you have a security or a confidence about yourself that you can't get any other way. And so I want to tell you, man, like, like the sermon is good. Hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you and it'll help you. But, but in all of your getting and all of your doing and all of your busyness of your life, take time to know the love of God for yourself. Seek Him. Ask Him to show you His love. And I believe that he will do that. Uh, let's jump into chapter 5 here. Everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ. This is verse 1. Everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born out of God. And everyone loving the one, having given birth, I like this, 
also loves the one having been born out of him. In other words, if you like God, you'll like his kids. <laughs> By this, we know that we love the children of God as long as we may love God and may keep his commands. Now, the love of God is this, that we may keep his commandments and his commandments are not difficult. <laughs> I like that. That sounds like something I could do. It's easy. That's good. Verse 4 says, For everyone that has been born out of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has already overcome the world. It is our faith. Who is the one overcoming the world? If not the one believing that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one having come through water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and by the blood. And the Spirit is the one, capital O, the Spirit of God is the one witnessing because the Spirit is truth. For the ones witnessing are three, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are in agreement or alignment with each other. Uh, it's a lot to handle. I'm going to go back and talk about this, so don't worry. Verse 9 says, If we receive the witness of men, then the witness of God is much greater, because this is the witness of God, which he has witnessed concerning his Son. The one believing on the Son of God has this witness in himself. On the condition that one is not believing God, then that means he has counted him as a liar because he has not believed in the witness which God has, God has witnessed concerning his son. And this is the proof that God gave eternal life to us and this life is in his son. The one having the son has life and the one not having the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you, the ones believing on the name of the son of God, in order that you may know... <laughs> In order that you may have confidence, in order that you may know that you know that you know that you have eternal life and that you may keep on believing on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we may ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us whatsoever we may ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked from him. If anyone may see his brother sinning, a sin not leading to death, he will ask and he will give life to him. To the ones not sinning unto death, there is, in fact, a sin unto death. I do not say that he may ask concerning that sin. All unrighteousness is sin, and yet there is a sin not unto death. And that sounds a little bit confusing. Um, we're going to get into it here in a little bit. Verse 18 says, We know that everyone having been born out of God is not sinning, but the one having been born out of God is continually keeping himself. And the wicked one is not able to touch him. We know that we are out of God, but the whole world lies in the sphere of the wicked one. We know that the Son of God has already come and has given understanding to us so that we may know the true one. And we are in the true one, in his Son, Christ Jesus. This one is the true God and life eternal. Little children, you must protect yourself from idols. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for how it still applies to our lives. Even 2,000 years later, it, it, it rings down through history and speaks to us. Lord, would you open it up to us? Help us to see Jesus Christ today. He is the living word of God. Help us to see him. Help us to understand just even, even in a small fraction the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This, uh, this first passage, I'm just going to jump right into this, this first passage here. It says, everyone believing, uh, everyone that, everyone believing, <laughs> Emilio, hey, how's it going? Emilio has a message for me. Okay, so, so we do have to be out at 12 o'clock sharp. Nice. That's what Emilio is saying. Awesome. <laughs> 
I just have to let you all know that. Thanks for being so discreet, though, and just sneaking up there with a little sign on your iPad. Man, that's like, you are, that, that is so millennial. You are, you are a millennial. Like, you didn't write it on a piece of paper. You got it on your iPad, dude. That's what I'm talking about. Come on, somebody. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so now back to you all. Let me, let, me, let me talk to you. So we do have to end this thing like right on time. So I, so I, I got to speed up is what you're saying. We got we to kick this thing in high gear. Okay, so the first part of this passage is basically John reiterating what he's been talking about. Look, look, the commandments of God, which he talks about, the commandments of God are lean on or trust in Jesus and love people. And really, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon series, I pray that you have come to understand this, that in every area of your life, you have to lean on Jesus and love on people. We often do the opposite. <laughs> we lean on people and we say that we love Jesus. We have an emotional attachment with Jesus, but we have a reliance on people. We put the weight of our faith on people. We put the weight of our emotions on people. We put a, the weight of our peace and our joy. We put that on people, but we, but we have like sort of an emotional affection for Jesus. And that's actually the opposite way that it's supposed to be. We are supposed to love people and lean on Jesus. And this is what he says. These, these are the commandments which are not burdensome. This is not difficult, he says. By this we know that we love the children of God as long as we may love God, which is believing in Jesus Christ. Believing means to rely or to trust. We have to lean on Jesus and love people. You can't get those things twisted. You can't get them backward. It's going to help you so much in your walk of faith, which he, gets, he starts talking about. Everyone that has been born out of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory having overcome the world, our faith. So if you want to overcome the world, the way that you overcome the world is lean on Jesus and love on people. Lean on Jesus and love on people. We always end up crushing people when we try to lean on people because people were never meant to bear the weight of your faith or your trust. Your spouse was never meant to bear the weight of your, of your joy, of your peace. Your, your, your kids are never meant to be the source of your, of your joy or your happiness. Your job was never meant to be the source of your security. All of these things that, re that require your faith and your leaning and your trust, all of that stuff was, was meant for Jesus. There's a spot in your heart that only Jesus can fill. And when, when you try to fill that with other people, you always, as, as, as Oscar Wilde said, we always kill the one that we love because there's always some selfishness up in our love for people until we learn to lean on Jesus. So you can't really love people if you don't love God. You can't really love people because every bit of love that you have for others will have a bit of selfishness in it. Your selfishness, your need for affirmation or for love back will always poison the well of your love for others. And so you have to get this straight. If you're really going to love people, you have to lean on Jesus. Because when you lean on Jesus, you can actually freely love people because it doesn't matter if they love you back. It doesn't matter if they, if they, if they reciprocate the love. It doesn't matter if they are a contributor to your, to your health or to you in, in any way. And we see this in Jesus Christ. We see that in His love, He laid Himself down for us without the hope or promise of anything in return. And this is the kind of love that we that we ought to have for others. We ought to just love freely. We ought to love fully. We ought to love gracefully. And, 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 and it's, it's surprising to me. Many, many people come to City Chapel and they say, oh, well, I just love how you reach out to the community and how you love people. And I, I'm a little bit puzzled by that because, like, if we love God, we have to love people. 
If we're leaning on God, God is loving people. So if we're leaning on him, we're along for the ride of loving others. So I get a little concerned when people say that, that well, I've never, I've never done this. I've never done that. I've never reached out to my community. I've never loved people. And it's like they've been in church like all their life. And it's like, what have you been doing? You've been, you've been, you haven't been leaning on Jesus. You haven't been resting. You've been resting on something else. You've been resting. <laughs> you've been, you're King James Version donkey, you've been resting on something else. All the church kids understand exactly what I'm talking about. You've been resting, but you haven't been resting on Jesus. When you rest on Jesus, you don't sit still. You don't sit back. You don't let people go hungry in your, in your town. You don't let people go naked and homeless in your town and do nothing about it. You don't let people rot in jail. Without, without feeling love, without knowing love. Last, last, last week, Robbie, our very own Robbie, went to the Austin um, jail here in Travis County and had 22 guys sit, sit around him and he talked to them about the Bible and about the love of God for them and four of them decided to follow Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. And that's what he does every single month on the fourth Sunday of the month. And then every Saturday, he goes to that prison as well as the one in Kyle and shares the love of God with people because that's what you do when you're resting on Jesus. It's not that we're super or amazing. We are the world's okayest church. It is the most okayest thing to love people. It is not extraordinary. It is not amazing. It does not mind-blowing. It's not some weird, radical, new idea. This is the love of God that we should lean on Jesus and love on people. And people are like, well, 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 then people leave your church and then they wasted all that and then they just go. Yeah, okay, cool. Then they'll go somewhere else and God will bless them over there and it'll be great. When, you, when you're leaning on Jesus, you're not relying on people. <laughs> you're, not, you're not looking at the numbers and who's showing up and who's doing what and who's giving. No, no, it's not, it's, it's not what we're looking at. Our job is to love people, all kinds of people, messed up. And people are a little bit hard to love sometimes. I'll give you that. <laughs> You all are a little bit weird. <laughs> it's actually a scripture that I, that I want to show you because I've been quoting this to a lot of people lately. Uh, it's, it's found in, um, let's see, is it Proverbs? I think it's, it's, it's Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse 4. This is something that, that, that Proverbs 14, 4 says. It says, without... Wow, okay, that's 1 John 5. That, that's good. Um, but there's a, there is a Proverbs 14, 4. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. That's the New Living Translation. The, the old New King James that I grew up with was uh, where the trough is empty, the stable is clean, but much strength comes from the presence of an ox. So here's the thing. Like, like <laughs> you can have a really clean house if you don't have any kids. <laughs> That's the truth. I just, I just translated that into modern day English. Sometimes... <laughs> So, you know, sometimes Roe feels a little bad about things. But, and, and I'm always like, babe, look, <laughs> we got, we got, what, what we got? We got 13 years until Micah moves out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In 13 years, the house is going to be spotless. There's not going to be uh, a skateboard in the middle of my walkway and I'm going to trip on it. There's not going to be little fingerprints on the wall. There's not going to be like spilt water like all the time. Why do we spill water? Why don't we just hold the cup upright? I don't understand. 
Why does it got tilt like this while you drink it? Pick it up, set it down. Pick it up, set it Like, this is the way. But, but the, look, in 13 years, it's going to be clean. It's going to be a clean house. It's going to be great. But, but, but it's also going to be quiet. And I'm going to be hoping he calls me from college. And I'm going to be hoping he introduces me to his girlfriend. And I'm going to be hoping that he includes me in his life. Because there's a mess, yeah. But in the, the mess is a result of new life happening in our house. <laughs> is there a mess? There, are there some messes in City Chapel? You bet, you bet there are. There's some You're sitting next to some. There, there's some mess in City Chapel. And I am loving the mess. Because the mess means that we got some fresh babies up in here that love Jesus, that didn't love Jesus six months ago. They didn't even know God a year ago. They weren't even thinking about sobriety. They weren't even wondering about what it was like to be off drugs. I'm telling you, like, we're, 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 yeah, sure, if we're not growing, oh, it's going to be real clean and tidy. Everyone's going to show up on time, wear the same clothes, listen to the same music. No one will ever offend you. But in City Chapel, I hope and pray that we always got some shoveling to do in the barn. <laughs> I, I don't mind shoveling because I love people. I love people of all sorts. People come in who have other religions. That's fine. People come in, they have other lifestyles. That's fine. We, 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 we welcome people. We just, we just want to fill this place with people. It's going to get a little bit messy sometimes because people are trying to navigate and, 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 and new things are going on in their life because their life was an empty stall before and it was real clean and real predictable and they kind of knew what to do. But now that they're inviting Jesus in, it's like suddenly he's, he's bringing some alignment and some crackings going on in their spine. They're like, hold on, hold on a second. I'm not, I'm not used to reacting in this way. I'm not used to thinking about my family in this way. And so the mess in your life is sometimes the result of a miracle that God did a while back and it's, and it's got things messy and I want to encourage you you got to embrace the mess you got to embrace lean on Jesus love on people lean on Jesus love on people there's going to be a mess there's going to be a little bit sloppy there's going to be some stuff that you're going to have to shovel but get pick up the shovel and shovel some of it because people are worth it people are worth it you get you get production when you get people what strength comes from the presence of an ox? I, I don't want to call you guys names or anything, but... <laughs> but we've been able to do a lot more than we could just do with me and Roe here. And as soon as you can't trust people anymore, as soon as you can't love people anymore, freely, openly, without holding them hostage, as soon as you can't do that anymore, then God stops sending you people. Because he's not going to trust you <laughs> with his, his precious ox. Because he, he, he loves that. He loves those people. He died for those people. And so he's calling us to love. And so, and so I just want to tell you, like, this is the church that we're going to be. Where it's always going to be some messiness. Always going to be, I, I was talking to, I think it was Noah a few weeks ago. She forgot something. Because like, she, she comes at 7.30 every week to help set up. And then she does worship. And then she does like, all sorts of things. And like, she forgot something one Sunday, I think. You forgot. It was super important. Let everybody down. I'm still bitter about it. Um, <laughs> she forgot something. And she was feeling bad about it. 
And I said, no, 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 the reason why you forgot it is because you were getting here at 7.30 in the morning to help us set up and because you're trying to remember the song that you're working on and because you're trying to do all, like, like that's why you forgot because there's so much production happening in your life that you're going to drop a ball every now and then. You're going to forget something every now and then, but i rather, I rather have you a part of this team serving like crazy like you do and you forget something every now and then than to not have you at all. So it's okay. It's okay if your life is a little bit like a messy stall sometimes. It's okay if there's some mess. It's okay if the kids get some stuff on the walls and spill some water, because at least we have kids. There's lots of people that would love to have stuff on their walls and water on their floor, but they're in a quiet, empty house. And I'm going to enjoy my kids while I got them. I'm going to thank God for my kids while I got them. Because it means I got life in my house and at least I have kids who can walk and who, who can talk and who can pick up stuff for themselves and who can, you know, who are fast enough to get fingers everywhere. I mean, you know, sometimes I think like we, 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 see, we, see, we see our lives as such a fragile thing. And this is why we have a hard time being confident in loving people because we're so, think everything's so fragile. It's like when we first had Madden, you know, like, like the, 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 the midwives... Uh, yeah, Dallas, you're going to have to hold, hold, hold up just a second because I'm still rolling. Uh, the midwives, uh, thank you, though. Thank you for jumping up here on time. The midwives handed off, handed off Madden to us, and then they left. And we were like, can we really, you, you, should you leave us with this baby? Because, like, we've never had a baby before. We don't really know what we're doing. You people are the experts, but they're like, oh, you'll figure it out midwives and um <laughs> just kidding we love midwives um they they, 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 they they trusted us and so we stayed awake the whole night just laying there staring at her we were just you know in love and in awe and we didn't think we needed sleep and so um you know she slept there in the bed with us and so we got up the next morning early and i, I loaded the car seat in the car for the first time we stuck we strapped madden in really tight and we, we picked her up locked her into the car and we began to drive home right like in first gear I'm like on 10 and 2 or however it's 10 and 1. I don't, I don't even know the right rules, but I was holding really, really tight like this, you know, and I was like, you know, making a turn. Okay, all right, all right, I'm going to drop this thing into, I'm going to drop it into the second while we make this turn. It took us like twice as long to get home. And Ro was like, that took a while. It's weird, I know. I mean, it's just so odd. But that's how I was. Like, if you've ever driven home with your first baby before, you know how that feeling is. It's like, oh my goodness, I'll never go over 35 ever again, you know? <laughs> People are honking at you. It's like, oh, just, what are you, what's the matter? You're flying down this road. What's going, what's wrong with you? you got precious cargo back here, you know? And then by Micah, it's like, we found out how many times a kid can, like, ram his head into things. <laughs> And still be perfectly okay. He's like, humdy dumdy, bam. Shakes it off and gets going, you know? It's like, I guess they're not so fragile. They're pretty tough. Pretty tough little buggers. I mean, you know, you start to realize that even though you think this, this delicate balance is so fragile, that God is big enough to hold you and to hold your faith and to hold the journey that he's doing. In fact, scripture says that the good work he started in you, he will bring it to completion. When we love people, we start to see him bringing that into completion. Salvation uh, is, is the next topic of this. I'm not even going to get through this chapter, so I'll probably have to finish up next week. But the next part of this chapter that is very seems very odd at first is the part, uh, verse 6, if you want to throw that up there on the screen. Verse 6 says, this is the one having come through water and blood, Jesus. Having come through water and blood. 
And he starts going on to talk about not just water, but blood too. And for those of us like in 21st century America, we're like, what is he talking about? It seems odd at first to, to imagine what he's talking about. But what he's, do, what he's doing here is he's dealing with a, uh, uh, an apostasy that was happening in the church, a false teaching that was happening that we've talked about several times. The whole purpose, actually, of 1 John is to bring the church into alignment, like a spiritual chiropractor. He's, 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 he's bringing them into alignment with the truth against this heresy that was kind of gaining some momentum in the church. This was written about 95 AD. And there were teachers that had crept into the church that had begun teaching what was known as Gnosticism. And Gnostic taught that really all flesh was evil. So any kind of skin or, or really all matter was evil. The only way to transcend matter was to, was, was, was to have some special knowledge whereby you entered into the spiritual and in the spiritual you could be pure. But they still said everything physical was, was evil. Uh, but the problem is that they, they began teaching this to Christians and, and Christians at first kind of accepted that, okay, well that sort of makes some sense. But then they started thinking about Jesus. It's like, oh, hold up a second. If Jesus was God, you know, he's fully God, perfect, and man at the same time, this is a problem. And this is why constantly in chapter 5, John keeps saying that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God. And then here at the end, he says Jesus is the true God and eternal life. He's, he's making the case that Jesus was not just an ordinary man. He was not just a teacher or a prophet. He was and is God himself. And this is what we believe. We believe that Jesus, from his very uh, conception in, in his mother's womb, uh, was miraculously conceived, and he grew up as God. He lived a life as God, and he died his death as God. He rose again on the third day as God. He didn't shift. He didn't change. He remained God. He was fully God and fully man. Uh, the theanthropos, the the theos meaning God, anthropos meaning mean man. He was the God-man. The only one of his kind, of two natures in one body, a human nature and a divine nature. And he's the only one worthy of worship. He's the only one who is God. And this is what scripture teaches. And this is the exclusive claim of Christ. You're not going to find a lot of people saying they are God unless they're kind of crazy. But Jesus backed this claim up. And this is the proof that he is the eternal life that God has given to us. And so Jesus claimed to be God. And so uh, you had, on the one hand, you had Gnostics. There was, there was one guy who taught that um, perhaps Jesus was fully God, but he wasn't really human. He was just kind of a mirage. He looked human. Then there was the other side of Gnosticism, a guy by the name of Serinthian. And Serinthian uh, taught that, 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 yes, indeed, Jesus was a man. He was an ordinary man. But when he was baptized by John the Baptist, he became God. So God kind of like came down on him and he became God. And then, you know, he lived his life. He worked his ministry. He raised people from the dead. He taught. He did several amazing things. And then when he was about to be crucified, God left him. And he was just man again. He's on the cross. He's just man. Because the theory of Serenthius said that, well, basically, because Jesus took on the sins of the world, he can't be God and take on sin. God can't deal with sin. God and sin are so far apart. They can never, ever touch. They can never deal with each other. And so he had to lose his godness when he was on the cross. And this all seems very theological to you, but I'm sharing this because I believe that our doctrine flows oftentimes out of theology. What you believe about Jesus tells you what to believe about yourself. And so, John here says, I want you to know that Jesus was God not only through the water of baptism, but also through the blood 
of the cross. That there was a spirit, he says right here, because the spirit is the one that bears witness. And the spirit is truth. The spirit agrees with the water of baptism and with the blood of the cross. That the same God who was with Jesus and who was Jesus when he was baptized by John was the same God who was with Jesus and was Jesus when he was crucified on the cross. And I believe this has great significance for us and especially with regard to our confidence. Because many times, and you've probably heard people say this, you've heard people say, and there's that one song by Bethel that says that, that God turned his face away from Jesus when he was being crucified. You've ever, you've, if you've been in the church very long, you've definitely heard that. And my question is, like, where's that in the Bible? Does it say anywhere? It doesn't. You can go ahead and look, do some research. I, I encourage you to do some research. There's no scripture that says that God the Father turned his face away from his son. So where would people get that idea? One of, the, one of the things is first century Gnosticism. They believed that God kind of got out of Jesus on the cross because he couldn't deal with sin. Can't, he, he, can't, he can't handle that. And so he's got to get out of there. And so he goes. And Jesus is left by himself. It's no wonder. It's no wonder that Christians feel like God turns his face away from us when we stumble and we get into sin. <laughs> if we think that's what God did to his son, that's what we're going to think he does for us. And that's why we don't bring issues to him. That's why we don't let him see us in the blood or on the cross. That's why we don't let him see us in difficult situations. We're happy for him to see us in the waters of baptism. We're happy for him to see us when we're at church and, yeah, God is good, everything's great. And we, we, we think that he's really happy with us when we're doing what is right. But as soon as we start going through the blood, we suddenly it's like the God of the water is not necessarily the God of the blood. God can't handle that. God can't deal with suffering and pain and, and, and heartache and even failure. God can't deal with that stuff. All I mean, he's, he's, he's the God of the happiness. He's the God of the joy. He's the God of the, of the mountains, right? He's not, he can't be the God of the valley. It's interesting how, how we view Jesus affects how we view our Father. And really the one statement that people would say, people would point to, to say that God uh, abandoned Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to turn there. Verse 41 is interesting, the context of this statement. It says, likewise the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and the Pharisees, they were all saying, he saved others. Now Jesus is on the cross now and they're mocking him. They're, they're all saying, he saved others he himself is not able to save. If he is in fact the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Verse 43 says, he has trusted in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him or if he is pleased by him because he did say, I am the son of God. This is what his mockers say. This is what the scoffers say. And then the robbers also accuse him. Verse 45, the sixth hour, everything goes dark. And then in verse 46, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting, and I, can't, I don't have time to get into it, but, but usually when the Bible translates something, they're trying to tell you something. Because everyone spoke Aramaic in the time of Jesus, but, but, but the Gospels don't always say, Jesus said blah, 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 which is translated blah, blah, blah. They don't do that. So whenever they give a direct quote, that means something interesting is going on here. And in fact, in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark, when this event happens, the people around Jesus don't understand what he's saying. 
They say maybe he's calling for Elijah. He's calling for Elijah or, or, or Elias, as they said, to come and rescue him. Now, why wouldn't they understand his words? Well, because that's not Aramaic. Partially is. Lama Sabathame is Aramaic. Eli Eli is Hebrew. And the Hebrews did not speak Hebrew. Jesus wasn't speaking to the average commoner for them to understand, because they didn't understand. They thought he was calling for Elijah. He was speaking Hebrew. Now, the only time that they would have read or heard Hebrew was when they read the Torah or the Scriptures. So let me just give you my theory on this. Psalm 22, and I, I, I grabbed some pieces of that passage for you to see. It starts off with this word, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathame. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you go down to verse 7, all who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusted in the Lord, they say. Huh. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him if he delights in him. Almost word for word what the Pharisees. By the way, the Pharisees would have memorized this. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes are the only one who would have known what Jesus is talking about because they memorized this. And Jesus says, he, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And suddenly they realized that exactly what they just said was prophesied almost a thousand years before they were even born. Verse 9 Jesus says, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. In other words, I did not become God in the water. God was with me in the womb. God was with me even before the womb. Jesus Christ was the creator of the world. He was with God from the beginning, from the everlasting to everlasting. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus says, look, God didn't join me in the water. So he's not about to leave me in the blood. Right here he says, from my birth I was cast on you. In verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are, are out of joint. That's what happens in crucifixion. My heart is turned to wax. And, and, and scripture says he was sweating blood. And so if, if you want to know what happens, this is pretty uh, explanatory. He says, my mouth is dried up and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. He was very thirsty. Go ahead and go to the next slide. He says, dogs surround me. They pack villains. They, they, they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. And they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Can you imagine the Pharisees remembering this passage? And looking around. What? What? <laughs> Verse 24. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. But he has listened to his cry for help. So let me just tell you a little something about the love of God. It doesn't join you when you join a church. And it doesn't leave you when you're on the cross. He doesn't pick you up when you're in the water and drop you off when you're in the blood. It's not weak. It's not flimsy. It's not, it's not in and out. It's not up and down. It's not left and right. It's, it doesn't vary. It doesn't adjust. The, the same spirit that testifies 
of God's love when you are in the water is the exact same spirit that testifies of God's love when you are in the blood. Whatever you are going through, whatever you are facing, it is your faith that overcomes the world and it is the spirit that testifies of your assurance of his love for you. Regardless of who has hung you high and dry, regardless of who has mocked you, regardless of who has turned their back on you, you can rest with confidence and, and assurance in the love of God. That's why Jesus could say, into your hands I commit my spirit because I trusted you with my body and so I believe that you can take care of my soul. I trusted you in the water and I've seen you be faithful in the blood and so I believe that even if I give you my soul, you will raise me up on the third day. This is the love of God that is so trustworthy and so confident and so faithful and so real. It's not weak, it's not wimpy, it's strong and it will last through the mocking and through the trials and through the scourgings and through the misunderstandings and through the false accusations. And when everybody leaves you, Jesus actually in John 17 told his disciples, so you guys are all going to leave me, but I will not be alone because my father will never leave me. God says he will never leave you or forsake you. He will not forsake the work of his hands. He made you. Why would he leave you? <laughs> the faithfulness of God lasts through the water and through the blood and they all come into alignment and agreement together that through it all God is good through it all God is faithful and actually this psalm psalm 22 it ends with the words he has finished it <laughs> if you remember the last words of Jesus that'll make sense for you he has finished what he wanted to do he has done it he has sealed it and he's delivered it to us and this is the confidence that, that we have. Confidence in life and confidence in death. Confidence in when facing the future. Confidence when thinking about the past. So often, uh, uh, they, they did a survey, which I, I shared on, on Wednesday night, how they had done a survey uh, of, 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 of people in the church. And they found that people in the church who are over the age of 50, which I know we don't have any of those here, so this doesn't apply to you all at all. Like I said, this whole sermon doesn't apply to you. You're not going through anything. It's just, it's just it's for everybody else. Uh, they found that people in the church who are over the age of 50, the greatest concern was, am I going to heaven? It's the greatest thing on their mind. Am I going to heaven? They've been in the church. And that's the greatest fear, concern that they have. And yet, they found that people over the age of 50 who go to church, they often have a lot of devotion in their life. So they read the Bible every day. They pray every day. They, they serve the poor. They have a lot of evidence of salvation. They just don't have a lot of assurance of salvation. And at the same time, when they interviewed 20-somethings, uh, 20-somethings were absolutely certain that they were going to heaven. <laughs> the thing that 20-somethings struggled with was any acts of devotion. Praying at all, reading their Bible at all, serving the poor at all, giving money to uh, charitable causes at all. Like, like the actual, actual evidence... Most, and this doesn't apply to all 20-somethings, but, but most 20-somethings in the church, this is what they struggle with. They struggle with actually having some evidence in their life. But they have all the assurance in the world. It's interesting. It's interesting to me because I think what's happening here is, number one, 20-somethings have learned you can't trust anybody. And so they wait 
to apply and to make it real in their life until they feel certain that they can trust God. But they don't have any problem believing promises. So they've been hearing a lot of promises and they're like, yeah, we'll take that and we'll wait and see. Because that's kind of the way they've been brought up to approach the world. The older people have been brought up a little bit different and they've been told that if you'll just be consistent with your life, then you will have assurance through your consistency. There's some truth to that and there's some truth to what the younger folks are dealing with. But all of them miss the mark because assurance and, and, uh, assurance and confidence don't come from consistency and they don't come from the other party proving themselves. Basically, it's not consistency on your part or consistency on the other person's part. John says, we have known the love of God and we have trusted in the love of God. It is not consistency that brings assurance. It is the love of God that brings assurance. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had been very consistent and he knew that his father was very consistent. But what he relied upon was the spirit that testified of the love of his father for him. He said, he said, you will not turn your face from me. You'll not, you'll not do it. You're not going to leave me in this. You're not going to walk away from me. You're going to be there for me because I've seen and I've known the love of God. Which brings me back to my opening statement. You have to know the love of God. You have to. You have to know the love of God. Otherwise, you're just going to church and you're just reading some things and praying some things and singing some things. But if you can know the love of God, it will transform your life. It'll give you confidence to love without selfishness. It'll give you power to walk through the water and the blood. To walk, because there's bloody stuff in all of life. I mean, there's stuff that's just going to get messy and it's going to be painful. And, 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 and if you're going to walk through that, with assurance, you have to know the love of God. And so we're going to give everyone here an opportunity just to receive that love today. Even if you've received it before and you would like to join me in a prayer to receive the love of God. Let's, let's close our eyes for just a moment and bow our heads. We're getting ready to close, but I, I would just ask you, if you want to receive the love of God, I want you to raise your hand with me and just say, that's me. I am I'm here to receive the love of God. I'm here to put my